Well, good morning. All right. You know, it's a little chilly out there, a little wet. It's going to get real wet soon, huh? That's what the forecast looks like. Um, but yeah, I echo what uh, Michelle was saying. Isaiah, you don't need to be saying sorry to nobody. Seriously. Um, it is it is a heart condition. I, I mean, I'm, I'll just speak on it right now. The fact that this young man feels led to keep coming here, living super far, got in a crazy car accident, lost a whip, and still coming down here. I mean, it's, again, it's about your heart. It's not about all these other external things. None of us are perfect. So we talked about this last week. Nobody has a best foot forward to put. <laughs> you think you're putting your best foot forward, your foot's shot. Your foot's not, it's, your foot's not perfect. You're not a foot model. It doesn't look cute. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into all that with feet, but... <laughs> So it's it's all it's all good. You know, the Lord is all about um, what is our motive behind what we're doing? Is it to honor and glorify him? And if it is, then that's the main point. Um, I'm excited this morning. Um, we, we are uh, going to be starting uh, the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. Oh, man, this is a beautiful letter. This is this is <laughs> this is the letter I think everyone's been waiting for <laughs> because, you know, so far we've seen, you know, this and that, and the Lord has said to all the other churches about what they're, what they need to do to get right. And, and, and in our message this morning, it's just straight encouragement. And I think it's a beautiful thing to see that the church can live and thrive in right relationship with Jesus Christ and not, uh, you know, be caught up in, in all kind of things where, you know, we forgot our first love. We need to turn back. Uh, the Church of Philadelphia is a great example of, of those who truly live out the calling on their lives and walk with the Lord step by step, day in and day out. Amen. So with that, uh, if you can and you're willing, able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Revelation chapter three. We'll go through verses seven down through nine this morning. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. And it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Verse 9. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for just another opportunity to come together collectively as your church, Lord, and to hear from you, Lord, to bring our cares and concerns to you, Lord, to cry out to you, to see what you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that we will be those that would come with hearts of sacrifice, sacrifice and praise, that that would be the motive of why we're here that we want to draw closer to you. 
that it's all about your son, Jesus Christ, that we recognize that in and of ourselves, we don't have what we need and we need more of you. Lord, please, would you speak through your word now? Would you make it abundantly clear what the message is this morning? Make it crystal clear to us. Would you give us the ability to receive it well and to apply it to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit? Father, we thank you and love you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. Again, new letter. This has been, uh, it's just a trip. You know, I, I, I am, uh, I'm just blessed to, to be able to, to have the freedom to crack open the word of God on a daily basis and, and get blessed by what I, I read and, and have the Holy Spirit give me insight as, as you all have that same opportunity on a daily basis. And it's just, um, you just can never exhaust the word of God. There's just so much to learn. There's so much to go back to. There's so much that we can take from the word and apply to our lives and see the benefit and see other people around us benefit. But uh, with that, we are starting this uh, letter to the Church of Philadelphia. Kind of a little bit of just quick geographic uh, background. This, this ancient city was 27 miles from Sardis and 48 miles from Laodicea. So they're, they're all in the general same area. I always get the idea of like the Bay Area. I think about that. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, we're not that far from, from Oakland. And then, you know, uh, San Francisco is just across the bridge. So it's, it's still in the same vicinity. Though back in those days, it would have taken a lot longer, uh, you know, you're either walking or you're on a donkey. You didn't have, you know, 400 horsepower to get to get to, you know, San Francisco in a, in a you know, 30 something minutes if you're driving pretty fast. Uh, it was located in modern Turkey's Providence of Manasseh. That's where this ancient city was. And it was founded in 189 B.C. And it was given its name because the king uh, of, of this city had, uh, you know, a lot a lot of love for his brother and hence the the, 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 the title Brotherly Love, that's where we get that from, uh, for the name Philadelphia. It was also known as uh, Little Athens because of its pagan temples. So we see this, this same, this same uh, thing coming in and out of all of, of these different uh, churches, that they were all planted in places where there was a lot of paganism going, around, going on, a lot of idolatry, a lot of uh, bad things. And, and this is what this area was known for. And actually, this city had some earthquakes. And uh, if you, in doing my studying, uh, it was nearly destroyed in 17 AD when a severe earthquake hit this region. Um, and so you can see the ruins that are still there today. Um, but we also will know that we can learn a great deal about the power that Jesus Christ possesses when we look at the, the, the Church of Philadelphia. And, it's a, and again, like I said, it's a breath of fresh air uh, in, in some senses because we get so much encouragement. Not that we haven't gotten encouragement from these other churches. Uh, I, I look at it like this. I feel like, so, when Jesus told others, turn back to your first love. When we really understand what turning back to your first love means and, and obeying Jesus, they're like one step away from being just like the Church of Philadelphia. It's not that the Church of Philadelphia was special and on some pedestal. It's just they hadn't given themselves to idolatry. They hadn't given themselves to loose living. They, were, they made up their minds that they were going to serve Jesus Christ no matter what. And, I, and, and the Lord has been revealing this to me in the last several weeks. 
what we come into agreement with is so important. We have to come into agreement with who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has for our lives. The only time the Christian falls is when the Christian comes into agreement with what Satan is whispering in our ears. We already have victory over Satan and his schemes. We understand that. Hopefully you guys can seek it out and see when Satan is trying to stir something up. Because all he's looking is for agreement. We talked about this several weeks back. That's what he was looking for with Eve. All he needs is for you and I to come into agreement. And then he begins to wreak havoc in our lives. But we see with the Church of Philadelphia, they were not willing to come into agreement with the father of lies. And it benefited them greatly. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus Christ is the only one who is true and holy. There are no other gods that can compare with him. He's true and he's holy. Um, I'll share this briefly. It was interesting. My wife can attest to this. I was at a couple weeks back uh, with uh, Kalox's classwork. So it's the holiday season. And, you know, uh, traditionally, right, you're... Uh, doing things that revolve around Christmas or what public school deems Christmas as. And so you have Santa, you have the tree, you have the baby Jesus. But it was interesting because we live in a culture now where, what are we? We're all inclusive, right? And everybody is all good. And um, there's actually, I heard a message this morning and it's pretty interesting. Those that are in charge of what words mean they're actually considering taking the word liar out of the dictionary and calling it post-truth. You see what I'm saying? That's where we're at as a world. That's where we're at as humanity, that we don't even want to acknowledge the fact that lying is lying and that it's false and it's wrong and Satan is the father of lies. We'd rather call it post-truth to suit our understanding of things better, to lessen the blow so we don't feel so bad. So anyways, um, you know, Kalos's teacher, I guess there, there's many different things that they're trying to give them to, to learn about because the holiday season. And one of the things was um, they wanted the children to learn about Ramadan. And one of the questions was, what do you, what, what, what do you talk about in a mosque? What do you think they talk about in a mosque? Now, mind you, they did have something about Christianity, about Christ or, you know, about Christmas, but it didn't say what do you talk about in church? My wife brought up a good point after she did some research. She said, well, it's December. They don't celebrate Ramadan till the spring. So why, 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 are, why are they trying to get my child to learn about Ramadan when this is Christmas? You see, but you see the, the tactics of Satan and how Satan tries to, he tries to take away from uh, you know, the, the idea or the, the, the reality of what Christmas really is. And so it was just interesting to me because I, I'm thinking and I'm seeing this and I'm like, wow, that's how the enemy tries to work. He tries to, he tries to worm his way in and slither his way in and try to find a way to get people uh, off of what the truth is. But praise God that even in the public school system, you still have the ability as a parent to say, no, <laughs> I'm not, uh, you, you're not teaching that to my child. And, 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 um, Kalos was gladly excused from having to, to do that project. But, you know, we see this all the time. And I bring that point up because as believers, we are true believers in Christ. Amen. We know there's only one true and living God. There's not, it's not all these others, all these other variations that, that, that are not 
They don't measure up. They're not in reality a God. They're a God of, of, of man's own understanding and our creation, not us, but as far as a hum, human race. That's what these other gods are. You see, John 1, uh, 1 verse 14 tells us this. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the father's one and only son. Again, I mean, it's 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 in it's in plain print. It's right there. We know that Jesus is the true and living God. All other gods are worthless. Isaiah chapter 44 verses 9 through 11 tell us how foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this. So they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God? An idol that cannot help him one bit. All who worship idols will be, dis- will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a clear indication. That's a clear description, even though it's back then talking about craftsmen who made miniature figurines of, of gods and you see it you see it on you see it on the road you see it on the freeway you know people got these things on their you know on 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 their uh you know on their dashboard thank you and 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 these things are are false gods they're 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 demigods they're idols but no matter what people create as their god nothing can ever compare to the true and living god who is jesus christ amen and in our day and age maybe it's not so much these figurines but it's we've made you know technology an idol and and we can't get off instagram i just i just saw something uh, uh, over the weekend and this, this one man who's a christian he said i'm getting off of instagram and he was he was giving his his biblical reasons not saying that there's anything wrong with instagram it's not evil whatever but he's like he was consumed with it and he was spending so much time on it and there's so much drama and the back and forth and and people spreading gossip and and so he said i I had to take a break but we have all kind of idols in our lives if we allow them to be in our lives amen uh football can be an idol food can be an idol even family can be an idol right everything has to have its proper place and we must put jesus on the seat of our hearts in order for us not to fall into uh, idol worship amen Yes, amen. Little baby knows, see? (laughs) That's what's up. All right. The second main point is this. Whatever doors that God opens, no one can close. God bless you. That's a a grown man sneeze right there. And whatever doors he closes, no one can open. Simply put, Jesus Christ is sovereign over all situations and circumstances right there's no such thing as coincidences in life i remember i used to hear someone say oh that was just a little coinky dink no there's no such thing right doors become open to you and i while other doors become closed there are plenty of reasons excuse me beyond our own comprehension of why these doors either opened or closed in our lives But at the heart of it all is the Lord's perfect will for your life and mine. That's why doors open and why doors close. A a classic example of this is just think back. You personally sitting there in your chairs. Think back to, uh, you know, to have you ever wondered what what would life have been like if back, you know, 20 years ago, you would have made this one choice. I'm not going to say what it is or it suggests what it is. But instead you made another decision, right? 
that would have changed the whole trajectory of your life. But you chose what you chose and the Lord allowed you to go along that path for a reason. And the reality is this. We can rest in the knowledge that God knows what's best for us. His will is what's best for us. He knows what's best for your life. He knows what's best for my life. You see, as our situations change, if we allow God to direct our steps, he'll lead us down the paths that are best for us. And that's with doors opening and doors closing. And no one can close a door that he opens and no one can close or open a door that he closes. Or did I say that two times? <laughs> you know, you get, you get, I'll get mixed up if I say it to me. Say that 10 times in a row as fast as you can. The reality is this, right? The, the, the path that's best for us. But see, the disclaimer is it may not be the easiest. It may not be something that you desire at the moment, right? Many times we're like, well, Lord, I, I'm not even, I don't even like want that. But it's not about wants, right? And I, th- I think we see this in our children a lot. Sometimes our children, or maybe even adults, there was a, when Michelle cracked a joke earlier <laughs> about, you know, uh, you know, adults at Christmas time and not getting what they want. But it's like, that's the truth. Sometimes we're like, man, I don't want that. But, you know, it's best for us, right? It's best for us. Maybe there's times where you're like, I don't want to get in the Word right now. I really don't feel like it. Uh, you know, I, I just heard... I just heard a message this morning and the pastor was talking about how Satan wiggles his way into circumstances. And, and again, it's this whole idea of if we allow ourselves to come into agreement with the enemy, no, nah, it's all bad. And, you know, he took a classic example of, you know, you have a, 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 a husband and a wife and they get into an argument. And, you know, instead of resolving the situation, they let it simmer or, you know, it festers. And then that's when Satan comes in and says, oh, yeah, you know, Jimmy Bob, he thinks you're really pretty. And he thinks you're really handsome and you don't need to be treated like that. You need to you need to go find someone else who's better. And if they don't handle the situation and say, no, I'm not coming into agreement with that. They end up falling out of their marriage and doing whatever they're doing. We need to be able to recognize the schemes of the enemy and again, make a decisive decision to say, no, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to follow God's word. I'm not going to come into agreement with what you're trying to put in my mind because it's not the right thing to do. It's not what I should be doing. Again, the whole idea of it may not be the easiest thing, but it's the best thing for us. We need to choose that. We need to choose what the Lord lays out for us. To follow the direction and leading of God, we have to be able to recognize which doors are being opened and which doors are being closed. Amen? We must be able to recognize what the Lord is doing in our lives. Psalm 37 verse 23 tells us the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in the details of their lives. Oh man, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, you got to hold on to that. He delights in the details of your life. Maybe this morning you're like, man, Lord, I I don't know what's going on. I feel like things are just a mess. (laughs) Little baby's so cute. She's just chilling, you know, but it's like, man, Lord, what's going on? But you know what? The Lord is so... He so cares about every little intricate detail of your life and of my life. You should never think that God doesn't care or he overlooked the past hurt or something that you're going on, going on with you currently. No, he's concerned about every little jot and tittle of your life. And that should be an encouragement that your heavenly father 
loves you that much. The fact that he gave his only son, that you could be saved, that I could be saved, that's such a big deal. That could never get old. That should be something that should be renewed in us with vigor and understanding every day and, and just be grateful for it. All right, the third main point is this. If we obey Jesus Christ and don't deny him, God will cause our enemies to realize that he loves us. Simply put, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? When we accept the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers, we become grafted into his family. With that grafting in comes all the benefits of God as your heavenly father. Um, An example, I get the image of like when a young child is bullied at school, right? Somebody, we were just watching... uh, we were watching, what, Karate Kid uh, yesterday, uh, the new one, not, not the old one, the new one with Jackie Chan and, and uh, Jaden Smith. And, you know, you, you guys know the premise of Karate Kid and, you know, these bullies are, are beating up on him. And, you know, somehow, some way he finds, you know, Jaden Smith finds himself, you know, getting trained by Jackie Chan and he's, you know, starting to learn how to defend himself. You know, back in the old school days, whatever. You know, on the blacktop, you know, you're getting bullied as a kid. You're getting picked on. And then all of a sudden, daddy rolls up to school. You know, the bully's big and bad when there's no adults around. But the minute that, you know, uh, the, 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 the victim's father comes in, it's like that bully's singing in another tune. That bully's not acting all big and bad, right? Because the bully recognizes, man, dad's big. This child, this, this person I've been picking on is loved by his father or her father and and they're humbled, you know, at least in that moment, right? They're not, they're not acting up. They're not acting big and bad. Maybe they were. That's a really, man, that kid's going to juvie, <laughs> going, trying to go head up against an adult. But, but the idea here is love by your heavenly father, right? And, and, and we have the protection of him. We have, we have all the benefits of, of, of knowing that he loves us. And, and again, by obeying him, and not taking vengeance for ourselves, allowing the Lord's timing to work all things out, He will have our enemies at our feet, right? And, 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 and we'll, they'll recognize that we're loved by Him and that we're cared for by our Heavenly Father. That we are not ashamed of Jesus Christ and we don't deny Him. The Bible also says that all that belong to, be, all that belong to God are corrected. So again, the whole idea of he only, uh, he only corrects those that are his, you know. So it's a, it's a big deal to, to understand that all these points point to Jesus Christ loving us. All right, so let's look at verse 7 first. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can open. What he closes, no one can open. So we've already talked about uh, Philadelphia being a prosperous city and them uh, it being known as Little Athens because of all the paganism and all the different things that were going on, the buildings there. Um, it was also a, 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 great, uh, a, great, a, a great city uh, that, that, that bridged other, uh, other cities together. And so many people had gone through there. It was, a, it was considered a great highway of the ancient world because it led from Europe to the east, to, uh, to Asia and all that. But Jesus goes on to talk, as he talks to the church of Philadelphia, he says, these things, who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens the doors that no one can shut, and shuts and no one can open them. Jesus reminded the church of Philadelphia of who he was, 
The fact that Jesus was holy and true. You see, these are not tendencies of Jesus Christ, but this is his very being, holy, set apart, righteous. This also shows that Jesus is Yahweh because he alone is holy in the absolute sense. Now, you may not be big on Greek, but there's a Greek translation, excuse me, that might help with this, right? It, it, it's a word that translates to true. There's two uh, meanings. It says one means true and not false, and the other means true and not fake. So we get this sense of genuineness or realness with Jesus Christ. They would have understood this in the ancient world because of the Greek language. They knew this to be true. And the application is this. Though secular society, influenced by Satan, tries to denounce the reality of who Jesus Christ is, they will never succeed. He can never be dethroned. Christ will always reign on high. Christ will always be the one and true and living God. You see, many skeptics or non-believers in some senses are like doubting Thomas. Remember, what did Thomas say? Let me see your hands. Like, I don't believe that you are the Christ. Let me see your hands. And once he saw, uh, you know, right, the, the holes in his hands or in his wrists, whatnot, he automatically remembered and was worshiping the Lord. People want to see evidence before they believe, right? Now, I can't sit up here and go into great detail of all the proof that Jesus Christ is real because, you know, we could spend weeks discussing this. I mean, this is something that's an ongoing conversation. There's more evidence being unearthed every day of the existence of Jesus Christ and him being real and him walking the face of the earth. And there's relics and, you know, the Dead Sea Scroll. I mean, and they're just, I mean, you can go on and on and on. But if you struggle with believing and need proof, I'll leave you with this little tidbit. So the historical evidence of Jesus of Nazareth is both long established and widespread. Within a few decades of Jesus's lifetime, he is mentioned by Jewish and Roman historians, as well as over a dozen Christian writings. Compare that with example, King Arthur. We've all heard of King Arthur, right? Knights of the Round Table. He should pull the sword out of the stone, all that, you know. Uh, was it Merlin, the wizard, right? All that. Who supposedly lived around A.D. 500. Well, the majority of historical sources for these events, they don't even mention Arthur. He's first referred to 300 to 400 years after he supposedly have lived. That's with King Arthur. That's, that's with him, right? The evidence for Jesus Christ is not limited to, to folklore or, or as, as are the accounts of Arthur. I mean, we see uh, the, the critical difference between the two. The bottom line is Jesus Christ is real. He's authentic. He's alive today and he's true. The reality is an individual has to experience Christ for themselves in order to believe and have faith to believe. Conviction has to set in. They have to be open to understand that they're, they're, they're walking in error and that the Lord loves them and he's going to correct them. Once that happens, again, it's like your Damascus Road experience. Then it becomes real because you have a personal point of reference where you've actually experienced Christ for yourself. Every individual has to go through that. The only true God. He's holy and set apart from all others. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. That's what he wants for us today. He wants us to be set apart from the world, set apart from society, 
a line of demarcation. There should be something drastically different from us, from society. And we should be able to share the light of Jesus Christ into a dark world and it be effective. Amen. Because of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Next up, he says, who he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Jesus showed that he's also the keeper of the keys and doors. In this quotation from Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 down through 23, Jesus expresses his power and authority, especially that they are exclusive to him. And the verses read, In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten on him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. So again, we see uh, biblical accounts of this in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ being the one that can only secure things shut and he's the only one that can open things okay we'll move on to verse eight now and it says i know all the things you do this is jesus speaking to the church of philadelphia and he's saying i have opened a door for you that no one can close you have a little strength yet you obey my word and did not deny me again we see this same theme which he said to all the other churches thus far in the letters i know your works right the church of philadelphia had served god well in different circumstances and jesus knew it he knew it and he was commending them for their faithfulness. He goes on to say, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. The church of Philadelphia had an open door set before them. Often an open door speaks of evangelistic opportunity. The fact that the door is open for you and I to go out and to share the gospel with those around us. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 9 says, For a wide door... For effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Man, that verse is crazy in itself because the door is open, but he's telling them there's all kind of opposition you're going to face, but take heart that the Lord is with you. Go. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid because perfect love casts out all fear. The door is open for you to do effective work for the Lord, but you will come across adversity. Isn't that true in our lives today? The door is wide open, right? The harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Many shriek away and don't want to talk about the gospel anymore. But we need to be those that have already made that decision and said, no matter where you put me, Lord, I'm going to share the truth of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus told them he opened the door of evangelistic opportunity and they must go through that door in faith. The church had a great call on their lives because I didn't touch about on this earlier, but the city had a mission. And because the city was steeped in paganism, they were trying to spread Greek culture, right, and language throughout the whole region. That was their whole deal in Philadelphia. Let's spread this, this false truth or, you know, what they thought was true, but it was just their culture to everyone they could get to. Now Jesus opened the door for these Christians in Philadelphia to spread the gospel to this whole region. To me, it sounds familiar. Doesn't it sound familiar to you? Our culture today is spreading a message of tolerance to the point where if you stand up against anything and if you say that's wrong, you're labeled the bad guy, 
you're, you're labeled narrow-minded, you're labeled a bigot. I don't have to go into all the details or all the examples. We already know all the examples that are there. But as a Christian living in the culture we live in today, if you stand up and say, this is wrong, that's right, you call something sin, oh man, they're going to pile on top of you. You're not going to hear the end of it. They're going to try to run you out of the country, really, because they don't want the truth to be told. They want everyone to be okay and sing Kumbaya, but that's not the reality. We can't do that because we got to call sin, sin, first in our own lives. And then if it comes across in, in our sphere of influence, we have to say, that's not right. You can't just turn a blind eye to it because now we're responsible, you know, committing the sin of omission, knowing something's wrong and just not being brave enough to, to call it what it is. What our culture is really saying by saying, oh, you can do whatever you want. We all accept you. It's all inclusive. We're, the culture is really saying you can be your own God. You can be God. And it's OK because Gnosticism says this. Gnosticism says, I have more knowledge than God. I have more knowledge of the Bible. I don't got to believe in Satan. We have a lot of this perpetrating the church today where so-called evangelicals are saying, if your way is right to get to heaven, it's okay with us. But I'm a Christian. <laughs> so if you want to believe in the Dalai Lama, it's okay. If you want to believe in Hinduism, it's okay. Because you can get to heaven that way. You can't even call yourself a Christian if you're saying that. Because the, the scriptures clearly say there's only one way. The door is narrow, right? That leads to true life. And the road is wide, I'm paraphrasing, that leads to destruction. And, and we cannot... You, the whole thing about tolerance. Yes, you respect other people. Yes, you love other people. But loving people enough to tell them the truth... Not loving them enough to say, oh, just go down your merry way and it doesn't matter because that's not loving someone. That's like a parent who doesn't love their child enough to tell them, no, you need to be corrected. If I just let Kalos eat Twinkies all day long and didn't say, no, son, that's not right. Or what is he like? What other candy does he like? All of them. Gummy worms. We, my wife likes putting everything in mason jars. So we got mason jars of everything. You got candy, mason jars, this and mason. If I just say, Kalos, it's all good, son. Just eat all the hot tamales you want. That's not loving him. But some parents think they're loving their kids because they're not saying no. And I'm not saying you got to be a tyrant about it. But we have to have the wherewithal and the fortitude to stand up and have a backbone and be like, it's not okay. It's not right. And it does start in our home. It doesn't even start in the church. It starts in the home. That's a whole other topic. Sorry, going down a rabbit trail. Don't need to go on. But we as the church... This is a positive <laughs> message, it really is. But we as the church have the awesome responsibility of sharing the truth with those around us. We really do. Jesus told them, see that the door is open. Look, understand, this is for you. It's all yours. All you have to do is walk through. All you have to do is walk through. The opportunity was there. Sometimes God sets an open door of opportunity in front of us, but we just don't see it. I like this story from Charles Spurgeon. It's a true account. I'll share it real quick. I'm sure Daniel knows all about this. But Spurgeon was asked one time from a man how he could win others to Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon asked the man, well, what are you and what do you do? And the man said that he was an engine driver of a train. And then Charles Spurgeon said, well, 
is the man who's next to you who shovels uh, coal on your train? Is he a Christian? And the man said, well, I don't know. And Charles Spurgeon simply said, go back and see if he is. Start there. The application is this. We need to focus on where we're at right now and who's in front of us, right? A lot of times we're looking for this grand opportunity and you know, people want to people wanna be used like Billy Graham and they want to fill auditoriums full of people. But, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. I don't think Billy Graham, maybe he had a vision like that, but I think he probably worked with everybody who was there, whoever was in front of him. He, he, didn't, he didn't think any soul was, was not worthy or, or worth uh, working towards and speaking to about the gospel message. And that's how we need to look at our uh, lives of other people today. So one of the men that pours into me um, and is always sending me messages, I, I had the years back when I was going to venture uh, in South San Jose, part of this men's group called The Herd, this man still texts me. And it's pretty cool because I send out a lot of messages and this man sends me <laughs> messages every day. He's one of the only men that sends me messages, but he sends me messages every day. And, uh, you know, I just picked up on this one little tidbit that he sent one of the days this week. And, and it said, souls don't get saved in bundles. And I was like, man, that spoke to me about this specific topic that I'm talking about right now. Because, again, the reality of every person is important. And we need to write where we're at. Who's in your sphere of influence? Who's in your family that's not saved? Who's on your job that's not saved? Who's in your neighborhood that's not saved? Um, you know, my, Kayla, Kayla's always asked me. There was, there was a lady that was trying to get somebody towed <laughs> from our apartment yesterday. And, uh, you know, I had gone out because I was taking Kalos on a bike ride. And, you know, I just saw the lady. My wife's always like, don't talk to her. But I'm like, I'm not putting you on blast. I'm not putting you on blast. But, you know, I saw the lady in passing. And I said, I said, hello. And, and, and uh, you know, I said, God bless you. And I'm, the whole point I'm trying to make is Kalos is like, why do you always say that to people? And I said, well, son, do you want people to be blessed or do you want people to be cursed? He said, I want people to be blessed. I said, well, son, that's, I want the same thing. So I just told the lady, God bless you, you know. But I, I share that to say, and I'm not, I don't, I don't know that lady's condition and I don't know her heart. But it's like, and even with whatever, her baggage and her background, it's like, that's a soul. And if that person comes in my sphere of influence and we're going to interact, we're going to interact on a level where I'm going to share the love of God with you because it's important, right? Those are opportunities where we have to take advantage of because you never know. Maybe that woman won't talk to my wife, but she'll talk to me. And I'll, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not. She talks to me. She'll tell you the story later. It don't need to be in the message. But anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is whoever it is, whoever it is, I'm sorry. I'm not, it's just, it's, no, I know. It's not, you, you didn't do nothing bad. I'm just saying but this whole idea of open doors, it also speaks of the opportunity for them, speaking of the, the believers in, in, in Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia, to enter into God's kingdom. It was in contrast with the exclusion from the synagogue. The exclusion from the synagogue. And, and Jesus goes on to say, and no one can shut this door that he opens. The emphasis is on unhindered openness. There's nothing that can keep them from their access to this door. Since Jesus is the one who opens the door and no one can shut it, he alone has the authority to open this door to the Christians in Philadelphia and for us today. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 tell us, 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a beautiful reminder. That's a beautiful encouragement. That's a, that's a door that the Lord has left wide open for anyone who would come. Who, anyone who would hear his voice would humble themselves, repent, and be able to receive and accept salvation. You have that. Nothing can stop the love of Jesus Christ from coming in your life but you. That's the reality. You see, David could shut or open the door in the kingdom of Israel to whomever he pleased. He was not bound to leave the kingdom even to his eldest son. He had that ability. He had that authority. He could choose whom he wanted to succeed him. The kingdom of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven are at the disposal of Jesus Christ alone. When God opens a door for you, the powers of hell can't close it. But you need to be willing to walk through that door. Amen. I like this quote. I don't know who it's from. It's an anonymous quote, but it's, it's, it's a great quote from some godly person from long ago. <laughs> God's man is not dependent on religious talent scouts, nor his ministry in the hand of officials. His headquarters is heaven, and his itinerary is made up by the Lord who opens the door. That's a beautiful thing. It's not based on all these external things. You and I, we need to take our marching orders from Jesus Christ. That's why praying is so essential to our walk. That's why being in the word, that's why being in communion with the Lord daily is so important because we have unhindered access to the Lord. So we, he is our compass and he will guide and direct our steps. The word says that he is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. If we allow him to navigate our, the direction of our lives. Right. But it comes in this form and we, we don't need to walk by uh, the steps of society. We can walk by the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus has opened the door, he gets the glory for it. He gets the honor. He gets the praise. Right. Neither wealth or influence promotional schemes, nor the eloquence of speech from a pulpit, nor the harmonies of musicians can give it an effective ministry. The Lord alone opens the door. Amen. And that's it. And that's it. We're, we're, we are extensions of, of his grace and his mercy as we're used in those ways. But it's never the people. It's always the Lord. Okay. This is very important for us to, to take note of. Jesus goes on to say, for you have little strength. He's talking about the church of Philadelphia. At first, you may look at that and be like, well, dude, I thought Jesus is commending them. They're not being unfaithful. They're, they're being obedient. But he's saying you have little strength. The term little strength does not imply weakness, but implies real strength. You see, that's, again, where we have to understand the context of how the word is written. Right. Because if, if we don't understand the context of how the word of God is, is, is to be read, we can make the word say whatever we want and we twist it and manipulate it. But led by the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is what it means. It doesn't mean weakness. It means real strength. You see, they were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. You see, the world looks at that and it's like, dude, you got what? Talking about you're weak and you're strong. No, I'm strong because I can do this and I can do that. Or I have so much money or I have this prestige and I have this position and that position. Or I own you know, these companies or I have I'm in charge of these soldiers and people think they're strong because of those things. But we can be 
too strong or too big or too sure of ourselves for God to really use us. That's where pride comes in. We're so prideful. We have such a spiritual fathead. You know, that's where, again, memorizing Scripture is good, but memorizing Scripture is not good if you're just running around rattling it off to people. People just are like, dude, I don't want to be around you, bro. You know, you think you're all that. You're so righteous. That's what the Pharisees did. But humbling ourselves, right, and coming alongside people in meekness and humility and loving on people through the power of the Holy Spirit, now that's a whole other game changer right there. And it may seem like you're weak in the world's eyes, but you're actually strong in Christ. You're strong enough to humble yourself and, and have empathy for someone. And you're not just smashing on someone with the Bible. We talked about that last week. You know, run around, you see a gay parade, and they just run around with a picket sign saying you're going to hell. Well, why don't you make a picket sign and say, <laughs> you know, John 3.16 or something like that, that God loved the world, you know? And, and yeah, we don't agree with the fact that you're living a lifestyle that, that's, that's, that's like that, but share the love of Christ with them. You know, there's a humility. There's a strength in that. You see, the church in Philadelphia had the poverty of spirit to know that they really needed God's strength. And the application is this. It's not a matter of great strength nor great ability, but great dependability. And, I, and, and as, as I was studying this week, I, I just thought of Samson, right? He had great ability. This man w- was given such great physical strength, but he had poor dependability. He didn't lean on the Lord. He didn't lean on the Lord. He, 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 he leaned on his God-given gifts, but he didn't lean on the Lord. A little strength faithfully used means more, much more than much flashy strength, but not used appropriately. The Apostle Paul was another great example of this dynamic of weakness and strength. We know God's strength is made evident, what, in his weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10 through 10 tell you that. All right. Jesus goes on to say, and there's not, this is so crazy. There's so much in these verses. I mean, this is just one verse. It's like, my gosh, but it is. I mean, there's just so much rich truth to unearth in, these, in this one verse. He's, he goes on to say, Jesus, that is, those who have kept my word and have not denied my name. The church in Philadelphia was faithful to Jesus Christ and his word. The idea behind they have not denied his name is that it not only ex- it exposed that their allegiance to Jesus, but that they lived in a way that was faithful to the name and character of Jesus Christ. You see, this is so important for us to remember and for us to shoot for as individual Christians and as a church. Because some churches and some Christians claim great faithfulness in the word, in the word of Jesus, but they deny his name and his character. They represent the manner of style of who Jesus is. But it's so different in what they really show, what the Bible speaks about. Look at quickly the features of the Church of Philadelphia. These are three key attributes. One, the evangelistic opportunity. I've set a door before you. Two, reliance on God. You have little strength, but they rely on Jesus. Three, faithful to Jesus. They have kept his word and not denied his name. In some ways, these features seem unspectacular. It's not a big deal. These are mundane these are beneath me. I, this is basic Christianity 101. But they should be commonplace among churches. Yet Jesus was completely pleased with this church. The other ones he wasn't pleased with in that sense because they, 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 they forgot their first love or they had given themselves to sexual idolatry and immorality. But here the church in Philadelphia remained faithful. 
He had nothing negative to say about the church of Philadelphia. The application is this. Simply stick to the script. (laughs) Stick to the scriptures. Keep it simple. Trust in Jesus Christ and obey. Easier said than done, but that's what we have to do. That's the key to living a successful Christian life is obedience and humility in Christ. Last verse, verse 9. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Okay, Jesus goes on to make this statement that was very bold back then. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. So the Christians in the church of Philadelphia were persecuted by these Jewish people known as the synagogue of Satan. However, these persecuted Persecuting Jews were only Jews in name alone. They were not true Jewish believers. They had no spiritual connection to Abraham or the people of faith. Now, Jesus wasn't speaking about all Jewish people because that would have been ridiculous for him to speak on the entirety of the Jewish population, saying that they were all synagogue of Satan. Jesus is speaking of this specific group of people in Philadelphia who were persecuting Christians during that period. And he goes on to say, I will make them come and worship before your feet. In this, Jesus promised to vindicate his people and make sure that their persecutors recognize that they were wrong and that Jesus's followers were right. The idea of vindication before self-righteous spiritual persecutors. God promised that he would do this. He promised that the Gentiles would honor them and acknowledge their God. We find that in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 14. But this is a beautiful thing, that now the tables had somewhat turned, right? These Jewish people will play the role of the heathen and acknowledge that the church is the Israel of God. Either way, the reality is this. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, maybe you've gone through or you're going through a situation where you feel like you need to take matters into your own hands. And you've been wrongly accused. You've been wrongly treated. You know, there's a a spiritual application and a strategic thing for Christians on how we can be successful even on that front. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray. We're we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. Pray for those who think badly about us. Pray for those who defame our name and our character. We are supposed to do that. And that is how you get back. And that's how you bring access for the Lord to come in and do some work in someone else's life. People that are opposing you or oppressing you. That's what you do. We are to pray for them. Because then we are clean vessels to be used by the Lord and we're not taking vengeance into our own hands. Remember, it's not a physical thing we're fighting. It's a spiritual battle. Everything that's going on that's wrong with this world, it's because Satan is poking and prodding and stoking the fire. Racism is, 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 is marked by Satan whispering in people's ears to hate other people because of the way they look or their culture. Right. Uh, all these issues we have within government, it's all influenced by satanic activity. Even within the church, satanic activity within the church has got pulpits filled with people spewing lies and calling it truth. I won't even go into what happened last week, but I talked about it last week. People embezzling money within the church and getting caught. Remember, your sin will find you out. It's only a matter of time. You can't get away with it. 
You can't. I can't. And here we see the application on how we can be in a place of peace, even though our enemies come against us by simply giving vengeance to the Lord. I'm going to end with this example as the worship team comes up. He says that they're going to know that he loved them. You guys remember, there was a crazy crime that was committed a while ago. Um, I'm not sure. It was, it, was, it was recent, pretty recent. But so uh, the perpetrator, it was a Dallas police officer named Amber, if I'm pronouncing her last name right, Geyer. Dallas police officer. She shot and killed a man as he was eating ice cream in his home. You guys remember that? She like went into the wrong house and thought he was robbing the spot. And, you know, she shot him, shot him dead. Now, many people take two stances when it comes to being a victim or a victim's family when it comes to something heinous like that. One is, Ugh, I want him dead. <laughs> you know, put him, just lethal, inject him. Put him in the pen for life. I have no, they don't have no remorse. I don't have no remorse. I'm hurting so much. They took my family member. That's it. The other approach is, Somehow, some way, the victim's family find a way to make peace with the perpetrator. And it's usually because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they're able to forgive. And they figure it's not going to do me any good to harness hate and bitterness toward this person. Well, I'm sure you guys remember this court case. During the trial, the victim's younger brother got up and hugged the, the, the person that was accused of the murder or who committed the murder for nearly a minute in the middle of the courtroom. And he told her, I forgive you. Brant Jean, uh, Brant Jean told her, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. It's very interesting because even in that circumstance, even the judge was moved and the judge actually gave that defendant a Bible and they actually prayed for her. And that's unheard of, you know. But the only way that that young man could do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. And he is a believer from what I read. He is a believer. He's a part of a, a you know, uh, you know, a, a God-fearing church out there in, in, in uh, Texas. But the reality is we don't want to be bitter. We don't want to seek revenge. May we be those who truly, like Jesus Christ, live and do things as he would do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for just this timely reminder that, Lord, we can live a righteous life in the midst of a crazy culture. Lord, that we don't have to seek vengeance for ourselves, but we can leave it at your feet. Father, that we can forgive and be ridden of the, the anger and the hate towards other people, but we can bless them, Lord, and that your love would fall upon them and hopefully hearts would be fertile to receive it, that they would repent, Lord. But with that, Lord, we are called to a higher standard as followers of you. May we be those that walk in righteousness. We have this great encouragement of the Church of Philadelphia. You found nothing wrong with them, Lord. You were pleased with them, their faithfulness to you. They didn't deny you. They walked in step with you every day. Lord, may you have favor on us. May we be part of that remnant that is faithful to you. May you not find our garments soiled and filthy. 
But may we be spotless, ready for the return of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and love you. We pray this all in your son, Jesus' precious name.